so thankful to be with you all uh, this morning and to be able to uh, celebrate this Lord's Day as a family and to worship him. Before we get into the sermon and the text, um, I just want to take a moment uh, just to uh, praise God for the participation that we received yesterday for the conference that was held here at Forest Baptist Church. Amen. Uh, we held a conference here about biblical sexuality and what it means to uh, pursue the Lord uh, in purity. And we had a wonderful turnout. We had uh, some great speakers that, that brought uh, powerful messages. And I can't begin to tell you um, how thankful I am for Forest Baptist Church. Um, I, I really don't have the vocabulary to express the gratitude uh, that is flowing uh, from me um, as a result of God's grace in your lives. Yesterday we had an amazing time, and it was because of the hospitality of Forest Baptist Church. Amen? We had so many people that pitched in and did so many things that it was absolutely amazing. Uh, from our, our praise team who uh, took care of the worship and the music all day, we had two other choirs that were supposed to come out that at the last minute I uh, was unable to come out. And our music department said, Pastor, we got you. And they came and they sang. Amen. They didn't sing. They sang. Amen. From the greeters at the door, the moment we walked in, just smiling, giving a warm welcome to the people who picked up things and bought things so that we can have water, uh, to those who came and stuffed bags so that everyone could have information bags and outlines. I mean, this church did their, their thing yesterday, amen? And I just want to say thank you. In fact, I would like anyone who participated in any way yesterday, whether that was a volunteer or you just came, if you could just please stand. We just, I just want to, we don't do this often, but uh, it, was, it was really amazing the tone that you all set, and uh, we're glad that you came. Amen? If you could stand to your feet with your Bibles in your hand <laughs> and turn to James chapter 4. We're going to revisit the book of James this morning, and we're going to look at a, a text and a passage I think that is uh, always relevant and important to us. Next week, we're celebrating our 147th church anniversary. Amen. Amen. And uh, we have a, a guest speaker next week. Uh, we have two guest speakers. We have a guest church this Wednesday. Uh, we have Watson Memorial Baptist Church with Pastor Tucson Adams. If you've never heard him speak, wonderful, wonderful preacher, a wonderful church. On Sunday, we have the executive director, treasurer of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, a pastor, our brother Paul Chitwood, who will be joining us uh, for worship. And many of you know uh, pastor or, or brother Chitwood from various events and various things that he's spoken at here. So we've got uh, two great speakers lined up to celebrate our anniversary. James chapter 4. Verse... 1 through 12. The precious, authentic, inerrant, sufficient, wonderful word of God reads, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Amen. You may be seated. Today we want to tag this text, Why You Fight. Why We Fight. Amen. And uh, even before we get in this text, uh, for the remaining uh, four or five weeks, we will be dealing with the book of Jonah, amen? Um, and then we'll have a standalone uh, sermon. Uh, but wanted to dive into James chapter 4 uh, to ask that, answer that question, why, why do we fight? Why are there divisions in the church? James is, as he identifies himself in James chapter 1, verse uh, 1 through 2, is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says. And he's writing this church to the Jews who are, in, uh, who, who are scattered all around. And he is, is writing them, and uh, even as a servant and as the half-brother of Jesus, he is encouraging the churches uh, to, to be on one accord. Um, he's teaching them a number of things. Number one, in chapter one, he teaches how uh, Christians should go through trials. And then he teaches us how Christians should go through temptations. Uh, then he teaches what true religion is. In chapter two, he teaches us what true faith is. In chapter three, he shows us that uh, what the damage the tongue can do. And then towards the end of chapter 3, he shows us what wisdom looks like and what peace looks like among God's people. And let's look at chapter 3 real quick, verse 13 through 18. Before we get to chapter 4, verse 1, and we look at why people fight, why there are quarrels and fights among the people of God. He says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have... Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder 
and every vow practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. So James just paints a picture of of two types of wisdom. The first type of wisdom is the world's wisdom. And when you follow the world's wisdom, James basically says there's going to be chaos. The second type of wisdom is God's wisdom. And he says when God's wisdom is present, there's going to be peace. So, so why, husband and wife, why, why did you argue the last time you argued? Maybe it was this week. And you had a big blowout at home. Was it God's wisdom? that was present, or was it the world's wisdom? Why do nations go to war with each other? Amen? Why do denominations split? Why do churches split? Why is there sibling rivalries? High school students. (laughs) Why are there different groups? within your friendships that was once together that are now separate? Well, James is going to answer the hard question of why we fight. And listen to what he says. Verse 1. First, he gives us the cause. The cause of quarrels and fights, and you can find this in your uh, bulletin. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He asks the question. Then he gives the answer. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? He says, fights and quarrels are a result of selfish passions. That's the picture here. This word passion in the Greek is where we get the word hedonism from, or to be hedonistic, which is to be self-indulgent. So he says the cause of all fights and quarrels is not necessarily the other person. It's not necessarily the other organization. The cause of quarrels and fights, he says, lies within each of us. When we find ourselves in ungodly disputes, he says, the first thing we need to do is look within. Because within, we will often find some selfishness or some, some passions that are unchecked. Uh, take, a, for example, an illustration of a couple. The husband is at work, and for whatever reason, he finds out that he's going to have a, a half a day at work today. And he's excited because they've been working him like crazy, and he's just ready to come home and relax. And in his mind, he has a picture of getting off at 12 and going home and putting his feet up. It's March. It's March Madness time and and watching the game. So he texts his wife and he says, sweetie, I'm coming home. I've got a half a day and uh, I just want to let you know I'm on my way home. Well, he gets home and all of the furniture in the house is kind of moved around. And he walks in and he's looking around. He's saying, why is the couch over here? and Why is this over here? And his wife looks at him. He said, well, you said you were coming home early. And I thought this would be a great time for us to reorganize our living room 
and to do a spring cleanup. We've been talking about it for a long time. And today is the perfect day. And all of a sudden, there's a tension there. Because he has a passion, and his passion is to rest. She has a passion, and her passion is to get him to do and to follow up with that honey-to-do list, right? And now there's this conflict that's there. And suddenly, a small conversation about the living room blows up. And the next thing you know, they're talking about something that happened five, ten years ago. And at the end of the night, he's sleeping on his couch, his couch, right? And she's sleeping in her bed, right? (laughs) Well, what happened there? There was a a passion there. There was a, a desire there. And maybe for both of them, it started out healthy, but something happened in the midst of it. That made it unhealthy. So Paul says, uh, the, uh, James says, that's how you know you preach a lot of Paul. Paul says, James says, the, the cause of quarrels and fights is, is selfish passions. And we're going to see in a little bit, it's really, it's really worldliness. Verse number two, he moves to not only the cause of quarrels and fights, but now he's going to show us the consequence of quarrels and fights. Look at verse number two. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passion. So now he's going to show us the consequences. He says a, a result of these un. Uh, Godly passions, these passions that have have went awry, that have become about us. He says, now there are some consequences, and he gives us a couple consequences. The first is, he says, there's murder. He says, you have a passion deep in your heart, and as a result of this passion not being met, you murder. Now, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to church folk. He's talking to people who have professed Jesus as Lord. And he says, you murder. Now, some say that he's literally talking about murdering, that perhaps Christians was actually picking each other off, right? Taking each other out. But I would argue that this murder that he's talking about here is more of the murder that Jesus talks about on the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about how we call each other fool, raka, right? It's it's a, a killing someone's spirit by using your words wrongly. It's what happens in James chapter 3 when he talks about the tongue, which is the smallest member of the body, but which causes the most damage. He's saying, so you murder each other with your words. But this could also be a, a literal murder. Now, this is a sensitive subject, so I'm going to tread softly here. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon at a post abortive ministry, a ministry that ministers to men and women who have had abortions. And uh, it was a healing service uh, for this organization and for people who had repented of the abortion and who now was being freed from this guilt, freed from from the shame that they had lived under. And it was an amazing time. We had a great time in the Lord. But in in talking about this text, I said, "Why, why do we commit abortion?" Why do we kill babies? Well, normally there's a passion. And for some, that passion is freedom, monetary freedom. For some, that passion is to not 
be found out. Amen? But the consequences of ungodly passions is murder. Cain, Abel, murder. He goes on and says not only is the consequence murder, looking at still in the same verse, but it's a result of covetousness. He says you you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, listen to this, because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. So listen to this. He says the, the result here is unanswered prayers. The consequences of ungodly passions is unanswered prayers. He says, if you would just take those passions to the Lord, if you would just take those desires to the Lord, he said, you would receive. Now, some people think that James here is affirming that we can just take our selfish desires to the Lord and receive Whatever we want from God. So if my selfish desire, and I'm angry because I don't have a, a BMW 745, which I, I wouldn't mind in heaven having a BMW 745, but if that's why I'm angry, because I think I deserve one, right? Uh, James is not saying, well, if you just go pray about it, then the Lord will give it to you. No, I think what James is saying is we, we take our hearts to the Lord. We take our desires to the Lord, and in prayer, something happens. A change begins to happen. We receive from the Lord. We're going to see later what we receive. We receive from the Lord something more than our passion's been met. We receive him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. We receive peace. We receive joy. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 37 to 4. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, that's not talking about our selfish desires. No, he will give our hearts the desires that we need to continue to delight in him. But James says that you do not receive, we do not receive, because the motive is self-seeking. He says you want so that you can spend it on yourself. Lord, if you would just give me, give me the top position at that job, Lord, I'll do this for you, I'll do this for you. And the Lord like, no, you won't. You want, the, you want to be the CEO of that company because you want to spend it on yourself. You want to drive back to the hood in that nice car, amen, and be comfortable. It's, it's all about us. And the heart is deceitful. Sometimes we can deceive ourselves, amen. <laughs> That's why the proverb says it takes a man of understanding to draw out another person's heart. Because we can wrap stuff up good and fool ourselves, amen? So we see the cause, we see the consequence, which is murder and unanswered prayers because we're focused on ourselves. But here's the charge. The charge against quarrels and fight, uh, the charge against us when we quarrel and fight. Look at your Bible, verse 4. You adulterous people, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So what does he say? He says the charge against us when we find ourselves in bitter, divisive uh, 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 disputes is that we are adulterers. Adulterers. We are adulterers. That's Old Testament prophetic language. Who are we committing adultery against? Adultery is stepping out on one's spouse, right, in marriage. It's them having, uh, 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 being unfaithful to a spouse. The word says that we are being unfaithful to God. Just like Israel was unfaithful to God when they came and settled into uh, uh, the promised land. We are being unfaithful to God. So when my heart is raging with passion and wants something and is going against someone or something, it is because I am committing spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. And it's actually because I am worshiping someone or something other than God. When we quarrel and fight, it is because we are worshiping a false god. Something else, someone else has taken precedence in our heart other than Jesus. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, to live is Christ, and to die is At the moment where there's this division, that verse becomes reorganized. It's no longer to live is Christ, it's to live is something else. At that moment, we begin to worship something else. And for some, maybe it's respect. Many times for a husband, it's respect. The moment that there's tension with, with the wife, when we talk, talk about husbands, it's, it's normally a respect issue. That's what Ephesians chapter 5 says. It says, husbands, love your wives. Wives what? Respect your husbands. The scriptures namely tell wives to respect their husbands. Only in Titus chapter 2 do we see uh, the scripture saying older women teach younger women how to love their husbands. But in the other places, it's how to respect your husband. Because husbands, men, we, we thrive off of respect. Amen. I told you all this before. I'll say it again. The, the key moment in my marriage uh, with Amber, one of the sweetest moments in my marriage was early on when she just decided to write a small letter to me in the morning, and uh, it was, that I can remember, it wasn't for any reason, but she just wrote a small, small note, and just said, sweetheart, I respect you, at the end of it, didn't say I love you, said I respect you, but when I left that house, there was nothing you could tell me that day, because my wife respected me, I walked different, 
Amen. <laughs> because she respected me. And that's a good desire to, to have your wife respect you. But it can become a sinful desire when we make it the ultimate desire. Where if we fail to love someone because they aren't giving us what we feel we need, that has just become an idol. So to live is Christ and to deny is gain is no longer our mantra. It becomes to live is to get respect from my wife. I don't feel like she's respecting me the way I want respect. So I'm going to show her. That trash is just going to overflow and keep overflowing. Right? And then we start playing little games. Well, he ain't loving me the way I love him. Right? And it's a good desire for a, hus- a wife to be loved by her husband. And scripture commands, husband, love your wives. That's a commandment. But when a wife makes that the ultimate thing and allows that to control her, and when she begins to murder, to speak to him, to destroy, or he begins to murder, to speak to her, to destroy. It is because we are committing spiritual adultery. We have made that person or that point that we're trying to make our God. And really behind all of that is a desire is for self-indulgence. It's tight, but it's right, amen? So he calls us adulterers. Look at what he says. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? This is huge. He's saying that we're being worldly. He's saying we're being worldly. That we're loving the things of the world. Maybe it's respect. Maybe it's uh, appreciation, maybe it's fame, maybe it's being served, maybe it's being great. We're desiring the things of this world more than we are God. He says it's worldliness. And and really there's a, a comparison here between friendship with the world and friendship with God. See, friendship with the world ends up leading us to chaos and destruction. Loving the world ends up leaving us spiritually bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt. Let's look at the text. He said it's enmity with God. So if we're friends with the world, we are enemies of God. There is is strife between us and God. So Jesus says, do not love the world or the things of the world. For all that is in the world, 1 John, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and what? The pride of life. He continues, Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow. Or do you not suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? So we see the cause. 
of quarrels and fights, is selfish ambition, self-indulgence. We see the consequences of quarrels and fights. It's murder, amen, uh, and, and unanswered prayers. We see the charge. It's that we are committing adultery against the Lord. And now we're going to see the cure. And what's the cure? The cure is seeing how gracious God is towards us. This is absolutely fascinating what we see in verse 5. He says, do you not suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? In the midst of our fighting and quarreling, in the midst of our um, idolatry and adultery, we read that God is jealous for us. Not of us. Oprah Winfrey said that the reason she couldn't uh, submit to the scriptures is that she never could get over the fact that God is jealous of her. So you're reading the scriptures all wrong, sister. All right? You're so vain. I bet you think this song is about you, all right? <laughs> the, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord, amen? Every breath you have that's coming out your body is his. <laughs> you would not be able to put one foot in front of the other, Oprah, all right? He's not jealous of you. <laughs> he says, no, I'm jealous for the spirit that I put in you. Some would say the spirit here is referring to just every single human being who has the breath of God. Uh, circulating inside of him, that he's saying that he's jealous that we are worshiping idols, we're worshiping someone other than him. But I think that this is more particularly talking about Christians. He's saying when we are holding grudges, when we are fighting against each other, that the God, God, our Father in heaven is saying, I am jealous that you are worshiping yourself. I am jealous that you are worshiping the things of this world. I am jealous that you desire these worldly passions more than me. And he has given us his Holy Spirit. The scripture says that, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, that God has given us the Holy Spirit upon salvation. The Holy Spirit makes our hearts soft. He, he draws us to himself, God does, through the Holy Spirit. He empowers us. He pours love out in our hearts. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, through the Holy Spirit. And, and as we experience God and work with God and, and, and love God, the Holy Spirit is working inside of us and doing a, a work inside of us. But when we walk in habitual Bitterness and divisiveness, the scripture says that God is in heaven, jealous. The God of this universe is jealous because he wants to commune with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to draw near to you. He, he wants you to be able to open up your word and to experience him in a very personable way. He wants you to know that you're the, the apple of his eye, the church is, to remind you that you are his bride. He wants to remind you of what he has done for you on the cross and that no matter who doesn't respect you or who doesn't love you or who doesn't allow you to find or, or see you as worthy, that he does. And he is jealous. Say, so, man, get up off that couch throwing a fit because she didn't wash her underwear and serve her. 
Worship me. Pray to me. Don't you know I have the heart of a king in my hand? Proverbs 21, 1. The heart of a king is in the hands of the Lord and like the rivers of water, he turns it any way he wants to. He said, I'm the one that's in control. Nehemiah, I'm the one that's in control of the king's heart. All you got to do is, is pray to me and watch me open up his heart and begin to, to bless your godly desire to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. Watch me unleash my blessings and, and allow people to give you the materials you need to go on. God is saying, I want to talk with you. I want to commune with you. And in communion, he'll change our perspective and show us it's really not that deep. Because what you want is not going to satisfy you anyway. It's not, it's not what's going to keep you. Just read the book of Ecclesiastes. Augustus says we have a God-sized hole in our heart. And we're constantly trying to put other things and other people in place of where God, only God fits in. And we put it there and it just rattles around in our heart. It just rattles around and we're unsatisfied. So then we throw that away and we try to put something else in our heart and it rattles around. We throw that away and then we try to put another man in our heart and that rattles around. And we're just going from thing to thing, person to person, seeking fulfillment when God is saying, I am the one who fulfills you. So your boss at work that you just can't stand, your manager. And that you are in constant affliction with. As a Christian, as a Christian, the way that we draw non-believers to the Lord is through humility. It's through kindness. It's through serving. It's not by going back and forth with with that, that person at your job. It's by putting on a towel, getting a basin, and washing feet. But listen, that's counter our nature. That is so hard to do. That's easy to say and so hard to do. Amen? The only way that we can do it is if we are full of the Holy Spirit. The only way that we can love people who hate us, the only way that we can feed people who hate us, the only way that we can treat people kind who hate us is if we are supernaturally in tune with the Lord. And would Jesus say, love those who hate you? You're like, and we think it's impossible. And in our own strength, it is impossible. It is impossible. So he, he tells us the cure. He says, it's you understanding that I, I long to commune with you, to speak with you, and that I'm, I'm jealous of the spirit that I, I've invested and put in you. But this is the most amazing verse, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, says God opposed the proud but gives grace 
to the humble. The cure is actually not us making a to-do list, saying, when I go home, this is what I'm going to do in order to, to end this beef or to be better. No, he says the cure is you recognizing God's graciousness. What cures us from our anger? What cures us from our our malice? What cures us from our bitterness? It's God's grace. It's us sitting back and thinking about how gracious he is towards us. It's us reflecting on the fact that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's us realizing that we once hated God and that we once were dead to God and the things of God. But God, being rich in mercy, drew us to himself. He forbore our sins and our iniquities. He chose not to use it against us. He allowed his own son to die in our place. That should motivate us. Colossians chapter 3, forgive one another, be kind and tenderhearted as Christ has forgiven you. The motivation is Christ's work in us and for us. Understand that we were the ones that yelled crucify him. We were the ones that was in that crowd, metaphorically speaking. We were the ones that celebrated his healing and and his feeding us on one hand, but on the other hand turned our backs for us and understanding that while he was on the cross and while we crucified him, that he still had mercy towards us. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. This gracious and loving Father before the foundations of the world chose to save you in spite of you. In spite of you, in spite of me, my drunkenness, he was pursuing me. My brokenness, he was pursuing me. And even now, in our brokenness, he is still pursuing us. So the cure to quarrels and fights is grace. It's grace. He goes on to say, therefore, God opposes the proud, but gives what? Grace to the humble. So now he's going to tell us that the cure is is grace, but it's also responding to grace. And the way we respond to grace is by repenting. It's by repenting. It's by changing our, 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 our mind and our hearts and turning it back towards God. Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's repentance. That's how the Lord says we, we must respond. It's by by repenting. And it's holistic repentance. The key to repentance is this, it's humility. He starts this section with humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And then in verse 10, he ends this section with humility. Humble yourselves before the Lord and exalt you. 
It takes humility to repent. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It takes humility to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I blew it. But notice what this repentance looks like. It's two things. Number one, it's outward. Repentance is, in some ways, external. Gospel of Luke, we see John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. And as he's preaching, people's hearts are, are broken and they're being drawn to the Lord. They say, what should we do? And he tells each person to ask that question a, a different response. It's external. There's some things that you need to do. But it's also internal. So he says, wash your hands. And then he says, and purify your hearts. Wash your hands and purify your hearts. He gives ten commandments here in a very short group of scriptures. He gives ten commandments. He says, do this, do this, do this. And, and in essence, we can, we can sum them all up by saying, he's saying, take your sin seriously. Don't brush over it. Spend time with me. Weep and see that you are committing adultery against me. Be broken. Know what Jesus said? Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's humility. Blessed are those who realize that they're spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who understand that they're not all, you're not all that. So we said to the Pharisee, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Not rich in spirit. Not walking around like they've got it all. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Who understand that you're messed up, that I'm messed up, that we all have blind spots. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourn over what? Mourn over your own sin. Mourn over your own brokenness. That's what repentance looks like. So he gives us the cause of quarrels and fights, his ungodly passions. He gives us the consequences. We end up murdering. We end up using our words to hurt each other. And we don't have answered prayers. We think that we're praying. And we think that God is blessing us, but perhaps it's Satan blessing us to distract us even more. And then we look back two, three years from, from now, and we're like, man, I'm so far away from God, and I'm miserable. But it's because the, the heaven has become like iron. The charge is spiritual adultery. The cure is grace and getting in God's face and saying, Lord, help me. And the change, that's the last part. When we humble ourselves, it looks like verse 11 through 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The, the one who speaks against his brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor? So he gives that command. He says, after you, you repent, he says, repentance looks like now you are not using your tongue to tear that other person down. It's tight. Ooh. Hold on one second. Let me take a selfie. It's not a selfie. Let me take a picture. 
Amen. <laughs> he says, it, it looks like you, you're not speaking evil. You're not judging them, criticizing them to the point of trying to destroy them. And then it, it really takes us back to James chapter 2, verse 8, the royal law, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He reminds us that we're not God in this passage. That we're not the final judge. That we all are under construction and works in progress. And that we ought to treat each other with grace. We ought to treat each other by giving each other the benefit of the doubt by being quick to forgive. How many times? Seven times 70, he says. By loving each other with a radical love. A love that the world can't love with. A a love that the world doesn't have. A love that is shocking. Because that's how he loved us. So perhaps you walked in husband, wife, or with, with that tension. Perhaps you walked in with, with maybe bitterness or hatred towards a, a co-worker or um, a roommate. You're in college. What is the scripture calling us to do? It's calling us to examine ourselves and to seek the Lord. And to say, Lord, I give you my passions. I give you my desires. I give you me. Change me. Fill me up with you and change me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and thank you for the way that you pursue us and the way that you love us, Lord, in spite of us. Father, we are all prone to wander. We're all prone to have a a hard heart. We're all prone, Lord, to be self-righteous. We're all prone, Father God, to put ourselves on the throne rather than you. Father, we thank you that you, you really are merciful. You really are gracious. We pray, Father God, that you would fill us up with your grace and allow us to give grace to others. Allow us, Father God, to be overwhelmed with you in such a way, Lord, that we overwhelm others with a presence of love and peace. Help us to be, as James chapter 3 say, Lord, those who are, are open, Father God, to reason. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.